God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot stay, say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Good to see you guys. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben. I'm one of the elders here and get to serve as lead elder, lead pastor of this church, Frontline Shawnee. Um, and just want to welcome you today. Really glad that you're here if you're a guest. Um, it's good to see uh, everybody kind of back together as well. So we're in 1 Corinthians 12, and um, <clears throat> we are in a series called Rhythms of Grace. Rhythms of Grace, and what this series is about is about habits in our life that help us know Jesus. There's a thing that we have discovered together over the last couple weeks, is that we don't just naturally grow in our love for God. It is not a natural thing for us to love the Bible more. It's not a natural thing for us to love each other more. That's not natural for us. As much as I want it to be, we're not moving up and to the right all the time. Humanity is in this really caught between a rock and a hard place. And that is that we're not moving up and to the right, we're actually moving backwards. Without the help of healthy rhythms in our life, we should not be surprised when we stop loving or trusting God more. I've seen this time and again, I've seen it with myself, and you've seen it with friends, I've seen it in this church. People stop reading the Bible, they stop praying, they stop gathering together, they stop doing the things that God actually tells us we have to do in order to know him. And the trajectory is they fall away from each other, they fall away from the gospel, they fall away from orthodox beliefs, and they fall away from scripture. 
So we just have discovered that, and we're going to keep trying to discover that. We're going to try to, the best we can in this church, put rhythms of grace in our life. And that's really what they are. They are rhythms, but it's, they lead us to greater understanding of God's grace. When we say rhythms of grace, man, what we say is like, I need more of the grace of God in my life. I need God's grace to even know God. I cannot know God without his grace to do that. I need to love him more. I want to love him more. I'm not so sure. Maybe there are some uh, people in the, in the room today that um, are trying to figure out what you even believe about church, what you even believe about Christianity. For the most of us, though, if we're Christians, most of us would raise our hand and say, yes, I do want to know God more, and I do want to sin less. I don't know anybody that wants to just sin more. We would prefer to sin less. Well, that's what, that's what we're talking about today. This particular rhythm of grace is one that you maybe have not thought about. Today's rhythm is the rhythm, the habit, the formational discipline of church membership. Being a part and not just a consumer in the local body. It is sure to step on a few toes this morning, mine included. But I'm gonna ask you to, with grace, be people that are teachable today. Be people that are open today to learn about what does it mean to be in a church. What is the church? Why are we supposed to be in it? Why are we supposed to love the church? Is, isn't the church just like a Sunday morning thing? Isn't the church here to kind of like give me the fuel I need for the rest of the week? Doesn't the church exist just for Sundays? Doesn't the pastor just live in his office and just pop out to preach and that's all he does throughout the week? What is the church? Why does it matter so much? Why does the church matter so much? I've heard it said a hundred times, like, well, the church is not just a building, it's people. And well, that's true, but the church is also not the church if it's not church gathered. The Bible clearly tells us to not forsake gathering. The church is the church gathered, but it's also the church scattered. If we just gather, if church in the Bible Belt is just Sunday mornings, then we're actually not the church at all. We're just a crowd. We have to be gathered and scattered. Why is it so important? The Bible describes the church in so many different ways. It uses metaphors. One that we just talked about, the body of Christ. It's his hands and feet in the world. The body, it marches, it has movement, it has brain activity and blood pumping. It marches onward through pain and suffering to serve the poor and needy and lay aside our selfishness. But also, the church is a paradox because we know it's not perfect. Not only is it just not perfect, but it's actually really harmful at times. It's the body, hands and feet in the world, but also the church can be filled with really self-absorbed, money-hungry, comfort-worshiping people. It's a paradox. 
church is the bride of Christ. The Bible describes us as his bride, pursued, loved, cherished, adored, committed in covenant forever to him, but also she's often cold and distracted and an adulteress to other lovers. Church is a paradox. The church is the temple of God, filled with his spirit, displaying the intricate details of God's splendor, his temple, a people for his own possession, a royal priesthood unto God. That's what the Bible describes you and me as the church, but at the same time, the church often lacks power and peace and brings anxiety instead of priestly care. The church is the wisdom of God. I love this passage out of Ephesians 3 because there are so many people in the room today that have been hurt by a church. They've been, one of these things I've listed has, has happened to you in some way and, and man, join the crowd, welcome. <laughs> but Ephesians 3 still has this way of describing the church. There's no nonprofit. there's no parachurch organization, there is nothing in the world that meets Ephesians 3. And here it is. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. There is no way for the wisdom of God to be known in the world unless it's through the church. This is God's sermon. He is opening his mouth the church is the sermon of God about his wisdom and goodness to the world. Yet, she is so fragile, so weak at times. The church is a paradox. How do we respond to the paradox of the church? Well, there's several ways that we can respond. The first is we become cynics. We withdraw. We have cynical withdrawal. We give up and walk away. Turn into an armchair quarterback who has only opinions about the church but never has any skin in the game enough to really actually change it. We become idealists. We, in our idealism, it paralyzes us. It's idealistic paralysis. We want the church to be perfect. We want people to be perfect. We want leaders to be Jesus. Expectations are through the roof, so you just don't do anything. And the reason you don't do anything is because people are acting like they need a savior. They frustrate you, they make you mad, they don't say the right thing to you in the grocery store or whatever it is, I don't know. So we just become paralyzed. We either withdraw into cynicism or we just are idealistic and we never do anything. We never go to a church. We always just say like, well, the church hurt me in this way or whatever. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book about church community called Life Together. He said this, Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Idealism destroys actual community and finally we just 
our consumers. Consumerism is one of the ways that we deal with the paradox of the church. We keep on constantly searching for the ideal, the perfect place, the perfect people, the ideal church, the ideal self. Never settle into a people. Never let that people know you. Always look for the wrong reasons to a church that looks enough like the Garden of Eden. And we forget things are not moving up and to the right. The garden comes again when Jesus comes again. C.S. Lewis, who I feel like we quote at least eight times a sermon around here, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he wrote this, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best, best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that, quote, suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, God, wants him to be a pupil. Screwtape Letters was written from the perspective of the devil and demons who were trying to get people to not follow God. So he says, the search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. God wants us to be people that learn. Open hearts, open hands that aren't constantly trying to figure out why this place is not perfect. Here we come to 1 Corinthians 12. and It's an important piece of scripture. All scripture is important, but what's unique about 1 Corinthians 12 is it was written by a man named Paul. Paul used to be called Saul. God changed his name in his life. Saul, who is also Paul, Saul was a persecutor of the church. It was his job to persecute the church. Literally his whole career, all of his zeal, and he had a lot of it. He was famous for hating the church, and he hated it. Killed people. Zealous, like a rabid dog Saul was going around. His mission in life, if he could get his way, would be that everybody who claims the name of Jesus, everybody who goes to church, who considers himself a part of the body, that they would all just go away, probably die, be banished from the earth, never talk about Jesus again. That was Saul's job, his mission in life. It's the same guy that wrote 1 Corinthians 12. He was hell-bent on destroying the church, and now... He's a church planter. He's a church strengthener. Jesus met him, saved him, and changed his name to Paul, and now he's a planter. There's an old catchphrase that had kind of been used as a marketing ploy um, by several churches for a long time. I don't see it anymore. I'm not trying to single out churches, please. I, I'm not here to try and pretend like we've got it figured out and they don't. That is not what I'm here for. But I just feel a need to talk about this one phrase, and that is, Love God, hate the church. I used to see this on billboards. Love God, hate the church, so do we. That idea that you can come to your, our church because we feel the same way about the church that you do. We're cooler, we're better, we're whatever. That's so wrong in every way. You cannot be saved to Jesus. You cannot be truly in God and hate the church. It is his bride. It is his body on earth. Saul hated the church, persecuted it, 
And as soon as Jesus saved him, he became the biggest supporter of the church of all time outside of Jesus. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 at what Paul says about the church of the power of the Holy Spirit. Church membership. First, church membership is unity. It's unity. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Being saved by Jesus, sure enough, saves from sin and into an eternal kingdom. However, it also means that we are saved into the body of Christ. To be a Christian means that we're forever united to Jesus' body, which also means his body on earth, his church. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is not an example in all of scripture of somebody who did it by themselves. No such thing as following Jesus in isolation or with a group of people that you cherry pick. God designed you to know him, learn him, repent to him, and serve him by being in his body. Anything else is just wishful thinking. This means a few things for us. It means, first off, we fight for each other. Not your ideal community, not the ideal church. One of my favorite passages in all the scripture for pastors, and if you wanna be a pastor in this room, we've got some people that aspire to that, is when Paul says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Not the one that you wish you had. Not the people that you wish were in a part of the church. Who is among you? God has rooted you here. This goes for everybody, not just pastors. This goes for everybody in the church. Be friends with the people that are on your row. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care how weird they act. These people God has uniquely and specifically planted you with. I don't care if you vote the same. It doesn't matter. The people that are among you, those are your people. To be members in the body means that we fight for each other. We actually fight to maintain unity. Unity is not something that we create. You cannot just create unity. We try to do that, but we can't. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one that creates unity. When you give your life to Jesus, when Jesus saves you, then you are now unified to every Christian, but particularly in this body. That's why Galatians 6 tells us, don't grow weary of doing good, comma, especially to those in the household of faith. Don't grow weary, especially to your body. Unity is what we fight to maintain. Find someone who's just given their life to Jesus and see if they have anything but love in their hearts for fellow Christians. Go to another part of the world where Christianity is just not as accessible. Man, I loved my time in Thailand a few years ago. 
several years ago. People get saved and they can't believe it. The, and the only reason anybody hesitates to get saved because to them it's too good to be true. That was my experience when I was over there. The gospel, how could this be true that God loves me, that he wants me? Let me just take a minute to just figure out, is this real? Nobody has to be talked into anything. They just have to get their heart to catch up. And immediately, for people that are persecuted in the world, Southeast Asia, India, other parts of the world, somebody gives their life to Jesus, they find somebody else that's done the same thing. It is lifeblood to them. They love it. You follow Jesus too? God saved you as well? You know about the loving kindness of God too? You believe this crazy thing that I would die for as well? You're my brother. You're my sister. We love each other. We are in this together. We gotta stay together, we gotta be together. We have to pray together, we have to live our life together. We have to, this is not, it's not up for debate, we have to do that. Find someone that's persecuted that gives their life to Jesus. Church has become a little too cultural in America, especially in this part of the world. We just have forgotten what we've actually been saved out of and into. Look around the room today. There are multiple people that God Almighty, who needs nothing, he needs no one, set his love on before the foundation of the world. He did that. There are multiple people here that bear witness to the same thing. These are your people because of what God has done. Fight to maintain unity. Be together. Membership is unity. Second thing is this, membership is diversity. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, kind of weird, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there would be one where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The body requires many different things and gifts to operate as a full body. We, as the body, have different things to offer, testimonies, gifts. We also have different issues to offer as well. For the church, it means that not everyone should be an elder, not everyone should be a deacon, not everyone should be a ministry director on staff or whatever, but literally everyone should participate in caring for one another and doing the work of ministry. Prevailing thought that I had growing up was if you really loved God, if you were the type of person that really did love God, then the thing that you should probably do with your career is go and be a pastor. I grew up in a small town. There was this idea that like, man, this guy's really devoted to Jesus. He really feels different. He kind of knows the Bible a little more than other people. 
He should probably be a youth pastor. He should probably be a worship pastor. He should probably be a pastor. And I think that we kind of tripped up by sort of perpetuating that. Really, what that person should be is a Christian who works hard. (laughs) Is someone who follows Jesus in their life. Because there's no pastors in heaven. There's no, like, church elder section. There's no church deacon section in heaven. It's just, at that point, we just all are the same. So today, we need a better theology of vocation, one. But today, if you love Jesus and you work at the factory, God bless you. I actually envy your life. Be a Christian worker in the factory. One of my... um, one of my friends here is a member here is um, I talked with him about his job. He, a great guy, and uh, of course a lot of you know him because he's a member. Um, but one of the things he always talks about is what God is doing spiritually in his job. They have these uh, these prayer circles, and um, I'll ask him about his job, and he'll say, "Man." Uh, job's finding we, we need to get this prayer circle going here we need we need more prayer here we need more prayer people I can't he that's all he wants to talk about I love it it fills me up that's our life that's what it means to be a godly man in your job women same a godly woman in your job it doesn't mean that you have to go and apply for a youth pastor position somewhere the Bible needs all types of people No one sits the bench. There are no professional Christians in the church. You play a part. Play the part. Play the part. Be who you are and contribute to this place. Membership equals diversity. Second, membership, I mean third, membership is a witness to the world. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, listen to this, they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Membership is a witness to the world. Let me explain what this means. First off, if this happens, this is a breath of fresh air to a very self-actualizing world. The world is consumed with I'm me, I'm gonna be me, I'm gonna get mine, you get yours. And let's not get in each other's way. We can be friends, but if you get in the way of me being who I think I need to be or want to be, which changes with the wind, then we're enemies. The witness to the world is membership in the church, which gives us a better picture, something with substance, something that actually lasts. We are not autonomous individuals. We were not created to be autonomous. We aren't disconnected and isolated individuals. We are now in the body, we are connected to each other. We cannot live however we want. We have accountability to keep us from choosing a wider road 
We are accountable to each other and to God. That's true flourishing. True flourishing is not experienced alone. In order to grow and have health, we desperately need each other. You are not left to your own devices. If you are so lucky to be in a church that has true friends, then those friends will give you faithful wounds. They'll be able to sit down because they love you, because they're thinking about this thing that we all need to think, which is, I love this person so much that even if what I'm about to tell them makes them mad at me for the rest of their life, but does them good, that's okay. That's okay. Now, for those of you who just love going around telling people stuff and think of yourself as like Jeremiah the prophet, don't just go looking for conflict with people. Well, the pastor said. But it is a faithful, speak the truth in love, that is a faithful friend, member of the body, that's able to say to somebody, hey, I see this in your life. I'm really concerned about this one thing, man. I love you. I just want to point it out. You need to think about this. You need to think about these things. You need to think about these people, the way you act this way, the way you talk about this, the way you, I don't know, treat certain people. It's a witness to the world. Uh, one of the things that drives me the most crazy is how much waiters and waitresses hate working on Sundays. Man, we can be rude. How demanding can we be? I'm talking to myself. Get my food right. Don't keep me waiting too long. Lord knows I'm preaching to myself. No tips. I mean, why is that? That's a consistent thing. It's been that way for years. Waiters and waitresses hate working on Sunday. It's Sunday. Does that seem right to you? Sunday's when everybody leaves the church and goes to eat. And it's their least favorite day of the week to work. If membership is, if church membership is a witness to the world, on Sundays at the table, it's the wrong kind of witness. When we are saved into God, in a world that is dog eat dog, we are saved into Jesus. We realize the gospel that God set his love on you. You are dead. He did that. When you go to lunch today and you realize the gospel, then all of a sudden, thank God, man, we got a person that has a heartbeat to take our order. And God made them in his image. And they brought me food. And I've got a job that provides the money that I can give this person to pay for this food. What a miracle. And we're actually able to treat people with dignity and respect because they were made in the image of God. Membership should be a witness to the world where people go, man, that was the kindest. They tipped me well, but they were so nice to me. I got a, we got a bunch of waiters in this church and they're probably about ready to shout right now. <laughs> True flourishing is not experienced alone. It's not what have you done for me lately. In order to grow and have health, we need each other. We have to have each other. True flourishing is being accountable to each other, accountable to God, living under the banner of the gospel.
And the last thing today that membership is, it is commitment, plain and simple. Membership is commitment. Commitment isn't something that's valued much in our world anymore. Um, we worship King Emotion more and more, and we start to believe the lie that life is simply and dominantly about our individual happiness, our self-will, our self-actualization, so we're left in a constant turnover rate. That includes churches. That very much includes relationships, marriages, friendships, our jobs, and then our calling. There's nothing worse than labeling our inconsistency as God calling. Heard that a bunch, I've done that a bunch. Because of what I feel like, I will use God as my crutch to support my own selfish needs. I feel like God's telling me to not mow the yard. <laughs> Some people in the room say, yeah, I try to tell my spouse that sometimes. I don't know, I'm sorry if I just like specifically offended certain people in the room. I'm really sorry, I didn't plan on doing that, but man, we can use God to kind of cover ourselves. Our turnover rate is crazy right now. We would rather have a gut feeling about anything than just do what's right. It seems what we need right now are people who will fight for something bigger than themselves. Being committed first and primarily to Jesus means you lay down your own pride and work for the good of others. It means this. It means that your marriage is first, foremost, and ultimately about Jesus Christ. It's not about what you can get from that person. I got to officiate a wedding yesterday. It was so fun. Uh, just two very God, it's one of my favorite things about being a pastor, just two very godly young people that um, love Jesus and love each other. And I'm standing up here, and one of the things that I tell them when, I'm, when I marry people is, today is not the most important day of your life. It's not. Today's a great day. Your wedding's a great thing. It's a great ceremony. But it's not the most important day of your life. Every time that you want to give up, every time in your marriage or relationship or whatever that you want to cash it in, when you come to realize that this person's not who I thought they were or when they change or when whatever happens, the day that you say, I'm here because of Jesus, I'm married to that person because of Jesus, that day is the string of days, however many there are. That's the most important day of your life. When you say, man, you smell weird. <laughs> Man, you act weird. You are not who I dated. I don't know who you are, but you ain't the one I dated. And you go, but you know what? In covenant, I'm, because of Jesus, we are together. That's ultimately why we're together. That day is the most important day of your life. We gotta cut out the turnover rate, be committed. That's what church membership is. But we don't see it that way. We see the church as, what have you done for me lately? Be in it. I'm here because of Jesus. I'm married to you because of Jesus. I'm your brother, sister. I'm your friend because of Jesus. I'm in this church. I'm in it. I signed the dotted line. I'm in covenant relationship with this church because of Jesus. 
It means your friendships are about Jesus. Your job is, your calling about Jesus. Your commitment to the church is as well. Jesus is the head of the body that does not change. You cannot follow Jesus without being a part of his body. Being committed to him means you are linking arms with the church, even though she may drive you crazy sometimes, and even though the church will never be complete this side of heaven. I want to end with a quote from Mark Sayers. Uh, I would invite you, if you care, anything that guy writes is probably worth reading. He says this, in an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps we need to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things, we get that we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, always be enriching, and always be exciting. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, and of becoming more like Jesus. Let's stand together. Go ahead, if you're serving the table. You